can find code to delete. That's code you don't have to upgrade. Welcome to the Ruby Rogues podcast. I'm Jason Sweat. Charles Max Wood is not here today. Um, here with us, we have Brian Hogan. Hello. We have Josh Wood. Hey there. And Ben Wood. Hey, everybody. Um, by the way, probably no relation to Charles Max Wood, right? <laughs> Maybe. But not, <laughs> yeah, but, no. <laughs> but not that I'm aware of. Not that you we've, know. Uh, yeah, Chuck and I, we've talked about it, and um, I think we've... Uh, decided that there's there's no relation there yeah just so people know we're not like having just all chuck's family members on (laughs) okay so you guys are from upgrade rails what what is that tell us about that so um upgrade rails is a uh a service that we started um so first of all um ben and i uh were um co-owners of a uh, ruby consultancy um based out of vancouver washington which is uh kind of it's right next door to portland oregon um and uh, and we're also we happen to be brothers, um, hence the last name. Um, but Upgrade Rails is a service that we started um, specifically because we kept running into uh, like a lot of clients that have Rails applications that uh, need to be upgraded, but for whatever reason, like their teams usually, you know, they want them working on on features. Um, they don't really want to stop and take time to do things like maintenance. Like it's not usually the top of people's list. Uh, so, so we created Upgrade Rails as kind of a service for us to uh, develop our own um, expertise in. Uh, we feel that we can do it a lot faster and better than the typical team that doesn't do it all the time, and um, and we can help we can help teams uh, focus on their features and building their Rails application and their business rather than uh, doing maintenance. So, what kind of like clients and apps have you worked with so far? So, so far we've um, we've uh, uh, upgraded uh, CodePen IO, which was a lot of fun. Um, they're kind of one of the uh, better-known sites on the internet. I think um, they uh, have a you know like really high Alexa rank, and um, they um, are a code-sharing site. If you hadn't heard of them, um, really cool business and really cool people. So it was a lot of fun to work with them. Um, we also uh, we've recently finished an upgrade um, for a Nation Builder, which is another uh, pretty large uh, Rails application. Um, and I've known them for a little while, and they're also uh, really awesome folks over there. So um, we typically, uh, you know, we work from anywhere from like small uh, small projects that might take anywhere from like a week to two weeks, um, all the way up to uh, multi-month projects that are, you know, stepping through from even Rails 2 um, all the way up to Rails 4, you know, 4, 2, or 5. So I'm really interested yep. to, to hear how this kind of goes. Because I find your work a little bit terrifying because you're like stepping into this <laughs> unknown code base and you're going to upgrade their, their Rails version and it's like there's some risk to that, right? Like you could potentially upgrade it and since you're not familiar with all the features, you could accidentally break something. So like how do you <clears throat> prevent against that kind of stuff? Want to jump in there, Ben? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we have a, a process that we've been developing, and that absolutely is the question. Um, and, it, and it is scary when you're getting into a Rails upgrade, um, especially in a code base that you're not familiar with. I, I want to add something to what Josh was saying about clients that we're working with um, before I dive into to answering that question. That is this, that we're currently working on a project that will likely take a year or more to actually upgrade the entire um, I say application, but actually there's like four applications. They're all Rails apps, and they're all uh, interconnected um, probably in ways that um, are not not best practice, like some coupling happening and stuff. Um, and and so we're involved in this project to, to help our client basically get some, some footing and foundation and then set them in the right path. And then they're going to be continuing on at some point beyond our involvement because it would be expensive to have us, you know, contract with them for a year or more, um, especially when they do have a large internal team. Um, they're just needing some help. So, so yeah, we've we've got projects that you know that take a week or two. Um, Josh did the code pen upgrade, and I believe like a week and a half or two weeks. Is that right, Josh? Like a week maybe? Um, yeah, it was actually yeah. about a week exactly. Yeah, and that's unusual to make to make it clear. Like like most people that that, that come if if they're if they have a week long budget, that's usually um, pretty ambitious. Um, but it's not unheard of if you've got a health a relatively healthy code base. Um, and say you're going from you know Rails version three to Rails version four, or Rails version four to Rails version five, or something along those lines. Um, it's not it's not completely out of the picture that you'd be able to do something like that in a week. But we found that a lot of the projects that we um, that we and in, get involved with, um, especially ones that are are really far behind, 
um, it's not just a Rails upgrade that they're in need of. It's it's mm-hmm. usually you know if you if you've made it ten years without upgrading Rails, <laughs> um, then there's a there's a really good chance that um, there's some just like uh, you know some chronic like illness in your app. You've you've got some serious tech debt going on. It's eating away, and it's not just it's not just uh, dependencies you know framework and so other gems and stuff that? that need updating. Yeah, well, <coughs> excuse me. That's usually where we start. Um, and that's and that's that's why I wanted to kind of preface with that is is that um, it, it is scary jumping into an application and and most people's approach to um, uh, to start starting a Rails upgrade is well I guess you know we should get into the to the gem file and 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 change the Rails version and then try to resolve all the dependencies and then just start dealing with stuff as it comes and try to get the Rails console to boot or something along those lines and um, we've definitely taken that route before. In our, in you know, in our consultancy before before we really, I would say, became, um, you know, experts or before we built expertise in this area, we took that that most basic and naive approach. And um, I can I can definitely say it's not the way to go because you absolutely do get lost in the upgrade. You end up in a place where, um, you know, so many things are broken at once that it's like you you're treading water and you're trying to you're trying to swim out of it. Um, so but, you have but to it kinda... just. Do you have to mm-hmm. kind of limit the kinds of clients you work with? Because it seems like, you know, different people have different mindsets, um, and not everybody like understands that you might have to right. make some initial investments and in paying right. down some technical debt before right. you can you can justifiably work on an upgrade project. Because yeah. otherwise, it's just going to be like impossible. Um, yeah. So how do you how do you deal with that? Yeah. So that's that's an excellent question, and I would say we we don't limit. The clients necessarily. I would say that we will we will limit our involvement if we're in the scenario where a client has a lot of technical debt that they need to pay down, and we're advising them, you know, hey, that's not a good idea to try to start a Rails upgrade project right now before you deal with some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Like for example, say you've got you know thirty percent of the code base isn't even used because there's a bunch of code that hasn't been touched in years and and also hasn't been removed. You know, um, and we would we would essentially say, hey, here's a here's a list of things that we observe that need to be done, and we can help you with this. Um, and we would work with them to pay down some of that technical debt before we dive into an upgrade project. So, for example, in that project that I was saying, that's probably going to go on for a year or more. Um, their current version, production version of Rails that they're running is is Rails two three, um, and they upgraded from Rails one back in two thousand nine. I think they did that upgrade, um, and um, they're on, on Ruby 187 and they have a mountain of technical debt that they need to deal with mm-hmm. before they can realistically engage in an upgrade. Now, when we came to them and got started, we had our kickoff call and, and, and discovered that they actually started doing the Rails upgrade already. They dove into it, you know, um, which was, you know, there's, it's, it's, it's hard to be disappointed when you hear from them, hey, we got you know, Rails console booting, yet at the same time, it's like, well, wait a second, you know, it's great that you've made some progress, but you're going to have to step back at some point and deal with this, this other stuff. Because, um, and we're already finding out, you know, we're, we're in the project now, and so we're finding out, okay, you know, we're lost in this, we're lost in what this, this thing that came up is unexpected. Um, some stuff that we're familiar with uh, because of doing past you know, Rails upgrades, but for them, it's, stuff is coming as a surprise, <coughs> and, thus, and thus it's more difficult to deal with. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm I'm interested in in hearing a lot about those kinds of surprises uh, that you find because I, I can imagine that's the real value that you that you bring, isn't it? You you bring that experience of having worked on it. Whereas the development team who's upgrading that application, they may only, you know, they they have the experience of upgrading that application, but you you've seen stuff, man. You've seen things, right? <laughs> We've seen some things. That's true. We got, those, we got those crazy that crazy look in our eyes, or you know, bloodshot eyes, and all that. Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, like, like the gem that no longer the gem they were depending on that no longer exists and has to be replaced with a brand new one with a completely different API. Those kinds of things, right. you know. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, one one such example of that actually um, in Rails in Rails uh, two to Rails three, there was a uh, if, if you're looking at the change logs, you would think it's a minor change, and that is the the default behavior of a string, um, which has a concept of being HTML safe. In Rails 3.0, um, in Rails 2.3, there was no such there's no such thing. All all strings were considered HTML safe. But if you've ever been working in a Rails application and you've had a string that you ended up seeing escaped when it displayed in your browser, i.e., you're actually seeing HTML instead of seeing you know uh, the result of the HTML visually, um, 
you need to call HTML, you need to call HTML safe on the string, or you need to say raw and then pass the string to it for it to display properly. Well, that's something <laughs> that was introduced in Rails 3, didn't exist in Rails 2. And so there's a lot of people that have Rails 2 applications where they're not, um, you know, or I should say where, where they need to do work um, to ensure that their strings are not HTML escaped. Uh, by the time it hits the browser, and that's something that, like, if you've ever done a Rails two upgrade, you, there's, it's it's probably, uh, you know, I, I can't imagine that you didn't run into that at least a few times in the application that we're upgrading right now. Um, that's one of the things that they've hit. They're just like, we're not sure why we have to say raw, you know, on this, and it's just it's escaping everything, and um, and and so um, one of the things I wanted to mention about this is that in the change log, uh, or sh I should say, in the Rails three release notes, there's actually just a little bullet point. Under um, let's see what is this is actually under the action view section 7.4, uh, and then down in 7.4.3 category called other changes, um, there's a bullet point that says you no longer need to call h uh, string parentheses string to escape HTML output. It is only uh, it is on by default in all view templates. If you want to un if you want the unescaped string, call raw and then pass a string to it. And as far as I know, at least that's like that's where in the change log, it says, hey, there's this thing that you need to consider when you're upgrading. Um, and yet, it's this huge thing. It's like one of the main things when you're upgrading from Rails 2 to 3 that you end up having to account for. And you end up touching a lot of files, touching a lot of code to resolve those issues, you know? So that's and I would say I would say the biggest pleasure. the biggest problem with that is that it fails everywhere and it fails silently. Mm -hmm. So unless yeah. you have, um, like, if you yeah. have, like, really strong integration tests or something like that, um, you know, or, like, you have, like, a cucumber suite or something like that that's Absolutely. actually, like, testing yeah. the output, maybe even running JavaScript um, enabled on those tests, uh, then, you know, you're going to have a bunch of failing tests. But if you don't have those tests, then basically, like, it's just you're going to constantly be running into uh, pages that just don't don't display properly. And um, yep. and it's not like you can go and um, I don't think there's a, a, even like a deprecation log for those um, just because it's just strings. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a, a complicated issue. Yeah. Would you would you say would you think it's safe to say that a majority of the projects that you undertake don't have complex test suites like that? Right. Yeah, that's that's actually a really good question. Um, just in terms of what what do we see? when people come to us, <coughs> excuse me, their test suites. I would say for, for people that are really far behind in their, you know, written their gem versions, Rails version, um, for the most part, have not had extensive test suites. It doesn't mean that they don't have any. Um, but, you know, for us to see 50 or 60% coverage is usually pretty good. If we see less than 50% coverage, then it's kind of, we're going to have one of those conversations where it's like, you know, we want to work with you and we can help you extend your test coverage, but we don't really advise embarking on this until you build up some coverage. Not to say that 50 or 60% is ideal, because it's definitely not. I mean, a, a much higher number. And then, of course, uh, you know, line count number only tells you so much, right? Like that, Those tests are, as many of us know, somewhat of a lie. I mean, it's a good metric, I guess, to, to help you judge on a, you know, some basis where your, your test coverage lies. But especially when you're dealing with, with legacy applications that have seen a lot of different hands in the code base, have not been very well maintained, maybe have had people drop in that are, are new to Ruby development and maybe programming in general, you end up with stuff like really, 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 really long lines of code, you know? And so you might have a bunch, you might have one line that you missed in coverage that ends up being like the majority of the complexity of a method. So not that I need to get into a rant about that, but my point is, is, you know, we, we kind of try to take each case, uh, you know, uniquely, and, and judge um, what the risk is based on not only how many lines of code they have covered, but also what their tests are like, if they're well-written, if the critical parts of the apps are tested. You know, if you've got 50% test coverage and you're testing all the least critical stuff, that's much different than having 50% test coverage and you're, and you're testing all the most critical stuff. So, for example, if you've got a SaaS site or something like that, you know, would hope that you'd have some test coverage inside of your subscription system. <laughs> and not, you know, um, you know, may, maybe there's some uh, like some static pages or something that you decided not to test. Um, but yeah, we, we get a lot of we get a lot of clients that that do not have 100 percent test coverage or anything close to it. And we work with them to judge that risk and then sometimes extend the test coverage before we get started on a Rails upgrade. So here's another question, not not super related to that, but it popped <laughs> into my mind a minute ago. Um, we're on Rails 5 today. And it sounds like you might be dealing with some clients who are on like Rails two. 
so how do you deal with that? Or even if it's Rails 3, you know, like anything that's earlier than Rails 4, basically, it would take more than one version upgrade to get them up to 5. Do you do just like yeah. one one notch and say, okay, that's yeah. that's good for now, and then maybe at some point in, in the future we'll take another pass? Or do you try to do it all at once? Or how do you how do you approach that? Yeah, so usually... Usually what the scenario is when somebody's coming up to us and they're on an older version, you know, there's, there's not very many people that are saying, hey, we're on Rails 2 and we really just want to get to Rails 3. Um, in fact, we haven't had that happen yet, actually. If you're on Rails 2 and you're looking to upgrade, it's typically because you're saying, hey, we're like way outside of any kind of community support on Rails and thus we're out of security support. So if there's, you know, security patches that are being made, they're not getting applied not only to Rails 2, but they're not getting applied to Rails 3. In fact, they're not even getting applied to Rails 4 or 4.1. Currently, only Rails 4.2 and Rails 5 are getting um, security patches, and the rest of you know, previous versions of Rails are completely unsupported. So, um, so people that, that are on, <coughs> excuse me, on an older version of Rails, like Rails 2, um, are usually coming to us and saying, hey, what's the, what's, the, you know, what's the lowest version of Rails that has security support? Um, can you help us get there? So in the case of this, this project that we're working on right now, that's going to be a year or more. What they're after is PCI compliance. You know, they, they, they are looking to, to have some, certif some security certifications. In order to do that, they need to make sure that they've shored up um, the foundation, so to speak, um, and, and upgrading Rails and Ruby and also, for example, their um, production environments um, version of, of, uh, of Linux and such is, is something that they're doing. Um, and, and to answer the other part of your question... <coughs> You know, it's not just one step. Um, we we also you know we don't we don't jump from Rails version two to to Rails version four point two. Um, we we take them from Rails version two point three. We would go to then three zero, and then we'd go to three one, and then we'd go to three two, and so on and so forth. Four zero, four one, and then to eventually we get to four two. So we don't we don't step through all the the security patch versions, but we do step through each minor version. The reason for that is that you get. Deprecation warnings, you know, you, you get to get the application to a stable place between each step. If you try to make a big leap between versions, we found that, you know, again, you end up in that limbo space where everything's broken all the time and, and you're, you're kind of lost in it and you're, mm -hmm. you're, um, you're treading water. So that, that, the ideal is to basically bite off as little pieces as you can chew at a time and get things into a stable state and, and hopefully even get some stuff into production. For example, Again, in this, I keep going back to this example because it's the, the project that we're working on right now. But um, we are, are planning to release a version on Rails 3.2. And they're not going to stay at that version. But we actually want to release it in the production environment and verify that, yes, you know, this is stable. I was going to ask about any, that. If, mm -hmm, yep. Yeah, yeah, if, you, if any issues pop up. You know, it sounds like you do. Mm -hmm. we, we don't deploy each one. But we, we do choose ones that we, that we want to deploy depending on what versions we're going in between. Typically, it's going to be the last release of a major version. So in the case of this upgrade that we're doing, you know, if, if we're going to be going through the Rails 3 versions, we're not going to release 3.0 or 3.1, but we are going to release the very last patch version of 3.2. Gotcha. Yep. Let's take a break from this episode and really quickly talk about finding a job. You know, searching for a job can feel stressful, scary, and time-consuming. Pushy recruiters try to sell you on roles you don't actually want, and the job boards make you feel like you're throwing your resume into a black hole, never to be seen again. And sometimes you go all the way through an interview process just to find out that the very end that the salary offer or company culture doesn't match what you're looking for. Well, there's a solution. Hired.com is the world's most intelligent talent matching platform for full-time and contract opportunities. They make the job search faster, focused, and stress-free instead of endlessly applying to companies and hoping for the best. Hired puts you in control of how and when you connect with compelling opportunities. And after completing one simple application, top employers apply to you. And the best part is, is that you get money. That's right. They pay you if you get a job through them. Listeners to this show can earn double their normal hiring bonus by signing up with the show's link. That's right, you get $2,000 instead of $1,000. So go sign up at Hired.com slash podcast. I would add one thing. Um, yeah. when, you're, when you're deciding what your upgrade path is going to be, um, and like Ben said, typically that's, you know, you're stepping from, um, you know, minor release to major release, and then between major releases, um, you don't want to just jump straight from uh, like two to four. 
Um, I would say there is there is one case where I might consider doing that, and it's I think you have to evaluate these on a case by case basis. Um, but if you have a if you have you say you're on like a Rails two three and your app is relatively small, um, it can make sense um, you know time wise and budget wise it can actually cost you less if you decided to you know jump straight to Rails five for instance from Rails two three. Um, the the only uh, the only uh, caveat there is that you would have to you know that. That's, that's more akin to a, uh, you know, like a, a rewrite or at least, you know, a port directly to that version. So um, you're going to be dealing with a lot more things where you're, um, you know, like rewriting certain things maybe um, because you don't have all the deprecation warnings. Um, you just know that it's the wrong code um, and it needs yeah. to be upgraded. So um, that's like something to judge on a case by case basis. But I have seen that work really well, um, as, you know, main, mainly for small code bases, um, small Rails apps that um, it just, you know, it is a it is a big process to step between all the Rails versions. And um, sometimes it's actually uh, less time to uh, just go straight. But like I said, um, it's you just have to um, kind of do a, uh, a cost analysis for that and um, and then choose whichever one is going to cost you less. Yeah. Yep, and I, I can add something onto the end of that as well. Um, and that definitely is a um, an option in this, Josh. That sometimes it can end up costing less. Um, the considerations are things like, um, you know, if you're if you're on Rails two three, then there's a chance that you're not using tooling for your test suite that you're going to want to use or that is even compatible by the time you get to to Rails five and and Ruby two dot three. And so that means that you know you can't you can't port the application and then say, okay, you're like, now let's run our tests and see what passes. You've got to do work on your test suite and maybe swapping out your tooling and migrating over to something like Minitest or RSpec from test unit or whatever it is that you're using back then. Um, and that and that's tricky because you've you've lost your ability to say, okay, you know, we've we've made this step and we've upgraded things, now we're gonna run our tests. Um, where if you're if you're doing the processes, you know, you're walking through the the versions, you might you might make it to Rails uh, three. Um, and then say, okay, before we move on to Rails 4, we're going to actually take some time to, to migrate our tooling that we're using in our test suite to something that is also compatible on Rails 3, but is also going to be compatible on Rails 4 and beyond. Um, and you can run the test one by one as you're converting them and see that, okay, this is still testing the same thing. You know, we're not changing the behavior of the test and what it's testing. Um, that's tricky when you, you know, when you make those big leaps. But as Josh said, in the right scenario, it can still be the right choice. And it is kind of like a rewrite almost because... Um, for, for reasons like that, you have to consider things like, okay, we, we actually have to almost rewrite our tests um, and, and really and look at each one and see that what it was, what its intention was, what it was testing, but it's still testing that, at least in spirit, um, on this latest version that we've jumped to. I'm interested in some of the things that you've said, um, some of the things you've alluded to. So I'm going to ask a kind of a direct question to try to pull it all together, yeah. which is, what so you, you're talking about people that are coming from versions of Rails that are quite old now. Yeah. So what what do you suppose? What are what are the top reasons that people have put this off? I mean, we can say lack of manpower and wanting to focus on things, but are there some other reasons that um, that people will will just kind of maybe defer this? What are some of the reasons that you've heard from customers or clients? Yeah, Josh, do you want to answer that? Or do you want me to go? Uh, go for it. Okay. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's probably a number of reasons, but the most the most common that we see is that, like I said, you know, they're not just deferring, um, this is being real honest, you know, um, they're not just deferring the Rails upgrade. They're deferring, you know, maintenance and, and health checks on their application. And so, in my opinion, I think in most cases, the reason that they're, you know, as far behind as they are is just um, a lack of oversight in the health of the code base in general. And that's not mm. the case in every scenario. There have been some upgrades that we've done that um, are are not that. But you know, most usually those upgrades aren't. They're not the ones that are on Rails uh, two. You know, they're on Rails three or something. And they've said, well, you know, we had security support and stuff until fairly recently, and now we realize, you know, it's it's time for us to to bite the bullet and, and take this on. And so sometimes it's funding, you know, that might have kept them from from diving into it. Sometimes it's features that they're working on, or infrastructural stuff that's important. Um, for example, I, I think I can I can say this. When we worked on Nation Builder, um, one of the reasons that they brought us in is that they were their whole team was was very focused on beefing up their infrastructure for the election season because Nation Builder is all about building tools for uh, you know political activism and 
um, political parties to to have mailing lists and donations and all sorts of features like that, right? So, so around election sure. time, you know, once every four years, they get basically just slammed, um, and their infrastructure, if if uh, if they're not up to the challenge, will just crumble underneath the weight of it. So their whole team was focused on that. Yet at the same time, they're saying it's really important and valuable for us to get up to a more current version of Rails. So that way, I would say is you know a scenario. That, that isn't quite that like it's just been neglected. Um, it's just it was put off for a time and then they realized, you know, we need we need to have somebody help us get this done because we're just we're going to continue to put it off because we've got these other super high priorities that is consuming all of our time. Um, and so, yeah, the the, the other uh, scenario is 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 often just that there hasn't been that oversight to see, hey, we're we're building up technical debt. We're not paying it down. Um, and at some point it's going to come back to, to bite us to the point that they might hire, you know, somebody like us and we're saying, Hey, this is going to take you a year, <laughs> maybe with a small team. You know, we're not talking about putting 20 people on it, but if you've got a couple of people working on it and you're paying down all this technical debt, it might take you a year by the time you get through all the technical debt and then step through the rails version stably and get them into a production environment. So do you suppose, uh, I was wondering if it's more like, let's uh, if you've encountered people who are more have like a, a sort of a fear of the process, a fear of the upgrade, sort of like sort of like people who put off going to the dentist, for example, they're you know, <laughs> yeah. they're afraid of the pain and they don't really want to face it, or and they're just kind of putting it off as yeah. long as they possibly can. Not necessarily oversight, but more of a direct. You know, I'm using some really old gems, and I notice they're no longer being maintained, so we'll have to swap out all of these right. things and things like that. That's what, another yeah. thing I was wondering about. I think that's that's exact. I think that's um, a very common case. I, I think yeah. a lot of people know they know that they need to be doing this stuff. Um, I, you yeah. know, upgrading yeah. is all. It's almost kind of like exercising. Like you know, everyone knows they should be doing it, um, but you know it's it's hard. It takes a lot of discipline um, to you know to do it regularly, and um, it's just you know it's a lot easier not to do it. So I think yeah. you know it's a lot of people end up in that situation, and so like they know, yeah, they know they need to do it, um, and it's just whether it's the fear or just you know not wanting to have to you know dedicate the time and the resources to it, um, and it just gets pushed back. Yep, and and I'll also add. Um, to that point that it definitely is sometimes a fear of what will happen if they do upgrade. Um, if from past experiences, they've learned that upgrading can be painful, not just in the process of getting it done, but also in the process of failing. Um, because, you know, we've, we've definitely seen that before. Um, customers come and say, you know, hey, um, I really, really, really don't want to upgrade because, and fill in the blank, and they give a story about, you know, how, how the last upgrade was a huge failure and they had a lot of issues in production, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, you know, I know that it has to be done. And so, um, or, or they might be saying, and I put it off this long because of, because of how afraid I am, but I finally come down to it. I need to do it. So that definitely is a scenario that happens as well. In addition to just being afraid of embarking on the work because it's so much and nobody likes to do it. Um, it's, it's also sometimes I'm afraid of what this is going to actually do to my application. Is it going to damage our business? Um, things of that nature. So All right. how do you so, find the, oh, go ahead. I was going to say. I was going to say. So what I was going to what I was going to say is how uh, how do you know when it's time to upgrade? How do you know? I mean, you don't want to just jump on the latest version that comes out, right? Yeah. So, but how do you know? How do you strike that balance? How do you know when it's time to upgrade? Yeah, that's that's a good question. Um, I would say, um, at at the very least, when you see some updates coming from the uh, Rails community that the next minor version of Rails is coming out and that has implications for what version of Rails is going to be uh, no longer supported for security patches. If you're on that version, you know, or version before, that's definitely a time to upgrade. Um, I, I would advise to everybody not necessarily to be on the bleeding edge of Rails necessarily, not that I'm against that, um, but that's, you know, that's not a requirement, but to at least keep within security support of, um, of, of uh, the Rails core team is at least a... Um, you know, that's that's a good like rule of thumb, I guess I could say. And so when it comes to deciding, you know, if you're going to jump to the, the next version of Rails, if it's the current version, um, really, I say it's just a matter of are there things that you want? Um, are, are there features that are going to benefit your, your business um, that's going to benefit your developers as they build things? Like, is it going to speed up your processes? In most cases, I would say probably. Um, it doesn't mean that you have to use, you know, Action Cable or something like that. There's plenty of other things in Rails 5 that would increase productivity and um, uh, you know, a smooth, smooth, the process of, of feature development, that sort of thing. So 
Um, I, I would recommend it, but it's definitely not like, hey, you're not on the latest version of Rails. You got to get there immediately. We're, we're not trying to preach that to people per se. So you're sort of saying right now to everybody who's listening, if you're mm-hmm. on Rails four point, if you're if you're not on Rails four point two yet, it's probably time to have those conversations. Absolutely, yeah. If yeah. you're on a version prior to Rails four two, then then you should be thinking about because one, you're getting left behind, right? And you are building that technical debt that eventually is going to be difficult to to get out of because you've got multiple versions of Rails to go through. You know, um, when when uh, Rails five dot one comes out, you know, you're if you want to get up up to date, you're going to have to go through Rails four two and five zero, and then get all the way to five one. So you're you know you're building up debt that is going to be more difficult just because it's piled up. But also, <coughs> excuse me. Um, but also, yeah, uh, there's the security support factor, which maybe not everybody's concerned about the security um, side of things. But I would say you should be. Certainly. Well, I might also not, add that mm-hmm. yeah. if if you're on like a creaky old Rails three code base. Uh, you might have a harder time attracting and retaining talent, right? Nobody wants yeah. to work on like a crappy yeah. old code base. Absolutely. Yep. I, I would absolutely agree there that if you know if, if you're having a hard time retaining good good talent and you're using um, old tools and your code get, code base has a lot of tech debt that you're not dealing with, um, you're not going to retain people to work on it because they're going to go find more interesting things to do. Certainly. One other one other point that applies here. Um, I don't know. I don't know about you guys, but I like Stack Overflow a lot, and I think a lot of developers out there uh, use Stack Overflow and similar uh, documentation tools to, um, you know, supplement their uh, their memorized uh, knowledge. And so one of one of the things that we run into is that the older uh, the version of Rails that you're on. Uh, the more outdated the documentation is. And so um, it might take your developer, you know, you know, they might take them twice the amount of time to find the answer they need when they go and they Google something. Um, you know, they're going to not only, they're, they're not going to just pick the first result, for instance, that is usually what you would do if you're on um, kind of the most widely used version of Rails. Um, but they're going to have to evaluate, like, what version is this? Um, maybe it's even, you know, a couple of versions back they're looking for. So they have to find the right documentation or find the right question that was asked, you know, back in 2009 or whatever. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that alone, if you're uh, if you consider you're paying your developers um, either, you know, by the hour or for their time, usually um, that alone can save you a lot of money um, if you're, if, you know, if you're the owner of an application, um, for instance. And I think, you know, that's that's always a pretty uh a pretty um, interesting thought to me. Um, yeah. So that's, that's that's something we like to think about too. Is like how can we uh, how can we save um, you know how can we save developers time, which translates into saving money for the business that they work for. Yeah, that's that's absolutely a, a valid point, Josh. And I've got just a quick story about that. Just yesterday, I was doing some research um, as I was building out a, um, a upgrade road roadmap for this client. Um, which is a little different because normally, you know, we're involved in the upgrade all the way through the process. And this particular upgrade, there's at least a good chance that we're going to be stepping out at some point. They're going to be continuing on. So we're building this really detailed roadmap for them, trying to to download everything that we currently have in our own processes, internal stuff and wikis and whatnot, trying to put it into a document that they can have. And so just yesterday I was reading an article um, that I think I got linked out of one of the Rails release, uh, you know, doc pages Um that was from the author, the original author of Act, uh, Active Relation, ARL. And um, so I clicked the link and I'm reading it and I realized, hey, wait, this is on the way back machine. Like, why is that? Can I can I access this still? And I found out, no, I can't. Like this, literally this blog article that I found extremely enlightening because I wasn't, I wasn't um, doing heavy Rails development at that time. You know, I wasn't reading these sorts of articles, but now I'm, I'm very interested in to find out like, okay, what was the original intent behind ARL? Who wrote it? And what was, you know, why did they do this? Um, uh, you know, that, that blog article literally doesn't exist on the internet anymore. It's on the Wayback Machine um, and you can find it there. And that's awesome. I love the Wayback Machine for that. But, um, but there definitely is, as Josh was saying, this scenario where you don't have the resources that you had when the version was new. You know, if you're on Rails 2, um, there was a lot of a lot of blog articles and documentation stuff going around the internet at that time that might just not even exist anymore. Yep. So those are some pretty compelling sounding reasons to me to upgrade uh, upgrade your Rails version, and that's helpful because like even I with with obviously knowledge of Rails, it can be difficult to translate a Rails upgrade to like a really immediate tangible ROI for all that for all that time and expense and risk. 
but yeah. those are like some pretty pretty compelling reasons to to pull the trigger and do it. Yep. So with these clients you work yeah. with, how do you how do you find each other? Do you find them? Do they find you? How does that work? So we've uh, you can uh, you can find our website at uh, upgraderails.com, and uh, the primary like the main source that we've had for clients um, lately is um, we've been ab- advertising in uh, in Peter Cooper's newsletter Ruby Weekly. And, um, and so, you know, we've been running some ads in there throughout, uh, I think since like around the spring of, uh, 2016. And so that's how we've met a lot of our, um, a lot of our clients. Um, we also have, you know, we we're a full service consultancy at hint. Uh, so we do have, you know, we have clients, we, we get a lot of word of mouth clients. Um, we have long-term clients that we've worked with, um, that we also provide, you know, these types of services for. Um, so we, you know, we have the, the typical sources that you would expect for, a, you know, like a consultancy, um, or an agency, um, a lot of word of mouth. Um, but like, like I said, we're, we're doing some advertising for upgraderails.com, Um, and that's where we've uh, found some of our, you know, some of the clients we've been talking about. And do those tend to be, um, technical people who reach out to you? Yeah, I find, um, you know, I've kind of been, um, I, I'm kind of the, the marketing side is kind of my, um, the, what I'm working on uh, the most. And so um, I've kind of been uh, targeting like the CTO level um, and of a, of a team, you know, that has, you know, probably 10 plus developers on it, sometimes a lot more. Um, we do, you know, we work with some single founder types too. Um, it doesn't, you know, that doesn't disqualify you if, you know, you don't have a large team. I just find that, um, you know, this, this kind of appeals a lot to, uh, you know, like say you're a CTO and you, you're concerned about, you know, driving the technology forward and you want, you know, people working on new features for the business and that sort of thing. Um, you, you, you know, you're the person that knows that this stuff needs to be done. Um, but at the same time, you know, you're in that position where you don't necessarily, um, want to stop everyone and work on it. So, um, I think, you know, that's, that's kind of how it usually, how they end up finding us. Awesome. Hey, do you need a sanity check on your code? Make sure all the tests are passing. Make sure all the static assets compile. You know, all the normal things that you need to do to make sure that your application is ready for production. Then you need continuous integration. And I recommend SnapCI. SnapCI is a product put together by our friends at ThoughtWorks. And it works great to pull all of your information together about your application, make sure it's ready for production, let your team know if it fails, and overall, just make your life easier. So go check them out at SnapCI.com. So it's probably pretty close to time to start getting to the picks, but anything we should touch on before we uh, move on to that part of it? Yeah, um, I'll just throw throw a couple things out there. One is is just that um, you know we've we've been talking a lot about what we do um, with Upgrade Rails and what we've been doing for customers and stuff. Um, but I hope that that the conversation so far has been of benefit to people that are maybe in this situation that need to upgrade, um, and there's some advice that they can learn. Um, one of the one of the things which we didn't talk about, which I won't go into uh, length with, but that has is something that's part of our process that's just really valuable, and I would love to see people doing it when they're doing their own upgrades, is to try to try to do things um, that you can in advance, um, and we talked about that a little bit with like doing the tech debt thing, right? Um, but there's certain things um, that you can you can take on before you actually touch your gem file. Uh, for example, we were talking earlier about that whole HTML safe thing with string between Rails 2 and 3. Well, there's a gem called Rails XSS that you can you can use in Rails 2 that will essentially give you the behavior of, of uh, HTML string escaping in Rails 2. And the benefit of that is that you can say, hey, this is going to be a major challenge uh, in this upgrade. And once we actually change our gem file and get Rails installed and all this stuff, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of other things broken. Um, a lot of tests are going to be failing for other reasons. And um, that, the benefit of, of taking care of this whole string escaping thing in a stable environment, your master branch on Rails 2 before you even touch your gem file again, um, is that you know it, it takes it out and you can work on that problem in isolation. If any of your tests fail, you know why. You know it's because of this, this uh, string escaping thing. Um, and you can you can even get it into production at some point and say you know okay let's see if we get any reports of, of issues stuff that our test didn't cover and our QA didn't didn't catch um, and then you can move on to the next thing and the next thing might be use Bundler Bundler um, wasn't used in Rails by default until 3.0 but you can use Bundler in um, in Rails 2.3 and there's other things like that and then with each step of upgrade there's stuff like that on Rails 3 before going 3.1 stuff you can do on you know 3.2 before going to 4.0 um, so that's that's uh, 
a tool in our toolbox that would like to share with, with the world. And we definitely didn't come up with it. Um, I think actually we maybe initially got the idea from a post about how upgra- uh, how GitHub upgraded from Rails 2.3 to 3.0. And that's one of the things that they did is they, they ported stuff from the next version back into the current version. Um, and they actually took that to a whole nother level to the point that they ported everything back so that they could run Rails 2 or Rails 3 under the same code base, which is pretty nuts. But a very cool thing they did. And that's how they did it with zero, zero down time. So anyway, that's just a, a lesson we've learned that, that we'd definitely like to share. You know, look for opportunities to take things from the next version of Rails and pull them into your current version, resolve all the issues um, before you actually make that jump in your gem file. And then finally, I'd say, you know, if, if you do end up in a situation where you need some help or extra expertise, um, we're definitely available upgraderails.com um, to consult, you know, if it's to ask us some, some questions and have us come on for a short period of time or have us come in for doing a whole upgrade. Um, we're there. Awesome. And yeah, I was just going to ask that, like, uh, if somebody wants to do an upgrade themselves and maybe they don't have the budget to, to hire somebody for help or anything like that, are there any particular resources you'd recommend or can they just email you a question or, or what would you recommend to people? Yeah, um, I'll, I'll answer that. I suspect Josh may have some something to say about that as well. Um, honestly, like there's something that that I um, I think is kind of silly, but is definitely something I must recommend, which is that there's these upgrade docs, right? And the tendency for people is is to just to jump into the upgrade and and start seeing what issues come up, and then go read the docs and see if you know the problem that they're having relates to the the issue um or or one of the issues that's inside of the, the upgrade docs um but i would say like before you embark on an upgrade thoroughly read the upgrade docs not every little thing is covered in there and certainly there's other issues you're going to come into for example stuff that doesn't have anything to do with rails you know other dependencies and gems um but but the tendency is is for, for us as developers often myself especially is to skim read things um, and I'm, you know, finally at the point where I feel like I've got a handle on all the changes and that has given me a, a, an edge, um, to connect the dots between things that might be interconnected. Um, so there are resources out there. They're not too hard to find. The problem is actually getting yourself to read them thoroughly and, and not just skim, skim over them, um, before you get started. So yeah. So you're saying thought. it's, it's probably worth investing a little time to educate yourself and sharpen yeah. your ax before you chop down that tree. Exactly. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I hope, um, you know, I, I'm hoping that we're going to be able to, to uh, do more, you know, put more out there um, for the community, like, you know, in the form of blog posts and that sort of thing um, of, you know, how we do our process. Um, but really, like you said, like, that's really the benefit that we can provide, um, you know, doing this all the time is that we, uh, you know, number one, we've, we have experience, we have a lot more experience than the average team doing this since it's uh, primarily what we do. Um, and we've also, you know, we're building a process um, that is, uh, I think, pretty unique to us. And um, it incorporates all that experience and, um, you know, all the best practices that we've learned um, doing all these upgrades. And, um, and that can really, that really gives us an edge um, to be able to do, you know, do the upgrades faster. And, um, and even if it wasn't faster, just to um, ensure their success and, you know, not running into like severe bugs and that sort of thing. Um, so, um, yeah, I hope we can share more of that. Um, and definitely like you can all, like, we, I'm happy to answer any emails that anyone would have, um, about the upgrade process or, you know, just giving advice. Um, so you can always contact us at, uh, it's a uh, contact at hint.io and, uh, happy to email. Yep. Cool. Awesome. Well, I'm going to transition us into picks. Ben, do you want to do your picks first? Yeah, absolutely. So I picked three things, um, all actually relating to, I guess, maybe more tech debt than upgrading. Um, Josh and I were, were just at uh, RubyConf this last week, and these are three gems that I learned about, um, and I haven't actually had a chance to use in depth yet. So don't ask me too many too many questions, because I probably can't answer them, but I'm really excited to start using them. I think that we'll probably be able to make them part of our process, and I think people should check them out. So the first one is the Suture gem. Um, and that's that's uh, made by Justin Searles. Um, it's github.com slash test double slash suture. Um, and it's a refactoring tool for Ruby designed to make it safe to change code that you con- that you don't confidently understand, which is a huge feat, not something that's easy. And um, we actually saw Justin give a talk on this um, and, and kind of demo how it's used. And I got to say, it seems like magic. Um, the, the next one is called uh, Debride, Debride Gem. Um, and this is from Seattle RB. I think actually, Ryan, uh, uh, actually, I'm not sure if that's 
correct about who the author is. But anyway, Seattle RB slash DeBride. Um, it's a static code analysis tool for finding potentially unused uh, code or dead methods, um, which is definitely one of the things when you're embarking on upgrade. If you can find code to delete, that's code you don't have to upgrade. So I highly recommend doing that. The other one is also um, a, a tool for finding unused code. Um, it's called uh, Scythe. And uh, I think it's a fairly new tool, actually, is my understanding. Um, you know, static and code analysis of dynamic languages is, is, is not 100%. So you're not going to find all of your, your methods that are unused. You're also going to potentially have some false uh, positives and such. So Scythe, um, I think, is, is a tool that's meant to kind of stand in the gap there, especially with a language like Ruby. And the idea is you would install it into your, um, your application, put it in your production environment, tell it to look at certain uh, methods. You'd install, I think they call them probes. And um, what it does is it actually records to a database um, the number of times that this code path has been called, uh, if it's been used at all in production. And it'll, it'll give you a date. And then there's a tool that will actually list out, you know, hey, this method was called this many times, and, and here's when, that sort of thing. So if you have some, some code that, say, maybe DeBride um, had pointed out to you or you're just suspicious that maybe it wasn't used, you could use Scythe in production to actually see if that code is being used or not over the course of, say, a week or a month. You know, if, if you've got code that isn't touched in a month, then there's a really good chance it's never going to be touched, right? So so those are my three. Pretty cool. Yeah, those sound pretty useful. I'm going to go check those out. Um, cool. Josh, do you want to do your picks? Sure, yeah. My picks aren't um, related to uh, upgrading particularly. They're just things I like. Um, but my first one is uh, the JRuby Truffle project um, by uh, the Oracle, um, which I think is really cool. So um, JRuby, uh, so JRuby, if you don't know, is a, it's an implementation of Ruby for the JVM. Um, some benefits include uh, multi-threaded concurrency, and it's uh, really fast compared to MRI. Um, so some folks over at Oracle have been working on an alternate interpreter and compiler for JRuby. And um, it's a lot simpler. And um, apparently, it's uh, 10 to 20 times faster than MRI, or it, it will make JRuby 10 to 20 times faster. So I thought that's really cool. Um, it's not, uh, it doesn't sound like it's for production use yet. It's experimental. Um, but I think it's a really neat project to follow. Um, there was recently a talk on it um, at a at RubyConf last week. Um, and uh, I think we're gonna we're gonna link to a, a website for it in the show notes that has like a bunch of research papers and and that sort of thing. So there's a lot to dive into. Um, so my next pick is uh, actually uh, old ThinkPads uh, running Linux. Uh, this has kind of been a hobby of mine lately, and um, I've been having a lot of fun with it. Um, so ThinkPads uh, that's it's a, a line of laptop by uh, Lenovo. It was previously by IBM, and Lenovo bought bought them. Um, the th cool thing about ThinkPads is that you can buy them really cheap with pretty decent specs. Um, a lot of people upgrade them. My favorite thing about them is that you can, uh, you know, if you have a little, actually, if you have no hardware expertise, you can upgrade them yourself. Um, and so it's, uh, it's a lot of fun and it's a fun way to learn Linux, which, which I've been, um, I've been doing lately. So, um, they run Linux really well. And, um, and like I said, like, for example, I wanted to upgrade my uh, screen to a better resolution in um, in my uh, one of my ThinkPads. And so I had just like bought the parts and was able to follow the um, the, the hardware manual that, uh, that came with it and do it myself. So that was a lot of fun, um, kind of like a weekend project. Um, and my last pick is um, actually, I don't think I mentioned this, but I'm also the co-founder of HoneyBadger.io, which is an exception tracking application for Ruby specifically. And um, one of my co-founders, uh, Star Horn, um, who uh, writes a lot of our blog posts, wrote a really interesting blog post on, um, it's called A Rubyist Guide to Big O Notation. So um, that's kind of a computer science uh, concept. Um, it's Big O Notation is a mathematical notation. Um, it's commonly used um, for describing the complexity <coughs> of an algorithm. And um, Star does a really good job of uh, describing that in kind of Ruby terms. So if you uh, if you haven't heard of Big O Notation, go check that out. Um, again, I think we'll have a, a link in the show notes. And those are my picks. Awesome. Brian? I've got two that are tangentially related to the things we've been talking about today. The first one that I've got is a book called Eat That Frog, 21 Great Ways to Stop Procrastinating and Get More Done in Less Time. 
It's by Brian Tracy, and it makes the assumption that if you have to wake up every morning, you should do the most uncomfortable or most difficult thing first. And if you're talking about people who are maybe putting off the Rails upgrade, just remember that that frog is going to keep staring at you over and over again until you eventually take care of it. Um, and the other pick that I have is uh, related to the, the the previous pick, which is you know about big O notation. Um, and one of the things that uh, I personally believe is important is to keep your skills sharp, uh, keep your skills you know, where, where they need to be. And one of the things that I have been advocating for and doing, practicing every day, is uh, some exercises over at codefights.com. Uh, Codefights gives you some challenge problems, and you can actually uh, – do them against other software developers uh, in your time and see who, who can solve the problem quicker. There's some great bots to practice against, but it's a lot more fun to do it with your coworkers and, and uh, really challenge each other to keep up your skills. Awesome. And I'm going to continue my tradition of having picks that have nothing to do with anything. Um, so my first pick <laughs> is this I don't know what the heck it is. I just found it somehow. Um, it's called Basics of Mechanical Engineering by this guy named Paul D. Ronnie, R-O-N-N-E-Y. Um, and I Googled the guy out of curiosity, and it showed him in a space suit. I don't know who this guy is, but this guide is just really great. It's a really accessible guide to a uh, really accessible intro to mechanical engineering, which is something I happen to have an interest in. Um, I play Legos with my kids, and I like to try to build contraptions with Lego Technic, and I figured it would be useful to go and learn some actual mechanical engineering fundamentals. Um, nice. So that has been really cool. And then my other thing is um, a book by Carl Sagan called The Demon Haunted World. And it's just kind of about, um, it's about how to know what's true and what's not true, uh, talks about some some interesting stuff to do with the Reagan administration, which was kind of I think the book was written in the in the 80s. Talked about how the Reagans used to consult uh, astrologers and stuff like that to make really important decisions, and just kind of how we as a society can avoid that kind of hocus pocus. And so I thought that was a really interesting book. Um, again, nothing to do with anything, but kind of interesting. Okay. Cool. Well, I want to say thanks, Josh and Ben, for coming on the show. It's been really informative and helpful. Um, and if you could just uh, repeat where people can find you online, and if you want to include like Twitter handles or anything like that, uh, feel free. But just to make sure people people have the right way to contact you, can you share that again for us? Sure. Yeah. So you can find our consultancy, uh, which is called Hint at uh, Hint.io. Uh, you can find Upgrade Rails at UpgradeRails.com. And um, I'm, uh, uh, oh yeah, you can uh, find Honey Badger at HoneyBadger.io. Um, if you need exception tracking, I'm uh, Joshua P, all lowercase, all one word on Twitter. And um, Ben, uh, you can drop your Twitter handle. Yeah, I'm Benjamin Wood on Twitter. All one word, Benjamin Wood. Awesome. Well, I think that's a wrap. Thanks again. All right, thanks guys. Thank you. Bye -bye. Thanks for having us.